passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. Several decades ago, there was a researcher who somehow compiled uh, and concluded that each and every day we are faced with anywhere from 300 to 14,000 decisions. Each and every day. And in subsequent decades, that number has only increased as the number of choices facing us grows. See, each and every day we are faced with countless decisions that most of which, if we're honest, have little to no bearing on the trajectory of our life. Questions like, should we choose vanilla ice cream or chocolate? And the answer is obviously vanilla. Uh, Should we listen to that radio station or this one? Should I wear this shirt or that shirt? And, And some of you may be saying, well, that last question actually does have an impact on the trajectory of your life if you're going on a first date. Most of the choices we face are are relatively easy, relatively painless decisions, and we don't give a a ton of thought to them, but there are also a number of decisions that that face us, big questions that face us, that leave us asking or wondering, which way is the right way? Which way is the way that God would want us to go? And two weeks ago, we began looking at a brief, short, three-week series looking at how we discover God's will for our lives. And the last time we were here, the two weeks ago, we, we sort of laid the foundation for this discussion. We laid the foundation for our discussion on the will of God by looking at what God's will is for every single person on the face of the planet. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from or what your life is like. God has a a will for your life, and that is for you to find salvation in Jesus. It is for you to be filled with the Spirit, and it is for you to be holy. If we seek out God's will for our lives without first coming to grips with those three things, that we are to be saved or we are to be children of God, that we are to be filled with the Spirit, that we are to be holy, then there's no point in going further. But after those three things, we saw that there is a great deal of freedom for our vocational choices, for our relationship choices, for our school choices, and on and on and on. But at the same time, we can recognize that this freedom can at some times be paralyzing. No one wants to miss out on what God desires for them or God's plan for them. And so we can agonize over these decisions, that we can be in a spot where we are hoping that we are pleading with God to show us the right way so he can take off some of the pressure of these decisions facing us. And we're left asking the question, does God give us any help when we face tough decisions? And the answer, of course, is yes, the Bible is, is jam-packed with guidance, uh, ways for us to cultivate wisdom that comes in very handy when we are faced with these difficult decisions. But instead of giving us a, a turn-by-turn list of directions like Google or like Siri, the Bible serves more as a compass. It guides us, but it does not dictate to us. It gives us true north, but it doesn't necessarily give us the next step ahead of us when it comes to life's decisions. 
Now, if we're honest, we may want a map. We may say, you know what, God, I I thank you for the compass, but I'd much rather have those turn-by-turn directions for my life because I want to make sure I'm getting to the right destination. But that's not what God has given to us. Life may be easier. At least we may think that life would be easier if God just told us what to do. But God has given us something far better. And this morning's text is all about that. This morning's sermon is all about that. It really simply just boils down to one key truth for us this morning, that whenever we are faced with a difficult decision, actually, whenever we're faced with a decision period, there is one key truth for us to remember. Whenever we are faced with a decision, we should simply remember this. We seek to honor God in every decision. We seek to honor God in every decision. Now, that may sound underwhelming to you, May honestly, if, if it may even sound disappointing. After all, couldn't we, or aren't we hoping that God reveals His will a little more fully to us when we are faced with big decisions? Well, it may surprise us, but this question, how do I know God's will? Even the title of this sermon series, Discovering God's Will, is not in it of itself a biblical question at least not in the way that we tend to ask it or tend to think of it. The Bible never promises you, the Bible never promises me that God will will tell us which college that we should go to or which job we should take, which career path we should take, whether we should move or whether we should stay put, which person that we should marry. God never promises us answers to any of those things. Now, is God able to do so? Of course, But we may be waiting a long time if we're waiting for an answer that God doesn't actually promise to give us. So this morning's uh, sermon is not ultimately about discovering what God wants you to do when you are faced with a difficult decision. It's not about deciding which is the the right path. Instead, this morning, we're going to try to focus or change our mindset from trying to discover God's will to instead, let's say, okay, God, you've given us tools. How can I use those tools to honor you when I am faced with a big decision in life? The Bible is filled with wisdom. The Bible is filled with guidance. I think that those, uh, the, the Bible gives us the tools that are necessary to make decisions that will honor him. And as we look at scripture, there are at least uh, six principles that we find in Scripture that will help us uh, when we're faced with these types of decisions. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. It, it, it is good news this morning, if you think about it. The principles that we look are going to look at in Scripture are uh, worth using. They're valuable for every decision, every single decision that you will make in your life, no matter your age, no matter the stage of life you find yourself in. These principles can be helpful when you are an adolescent and you're finally able to go out for school sports and you're deciding, should I go out for soccer or should I go out for track? Or what instrument you want to play when you are in middle school. These questions are value, these principles are valuable when you are deciding on a college or when you are picking a prom date or even an actual date or when you are choosing your career path or where you're choosing where to live or whether you're choosing when or how to buy a house or when you're having kids or how to raise your kids or pursuing a new career in your life or moving out of town or caring for your aging parents or for your estate planning and on and on and on, no matter your stage of life, no matter how old you are, No matter how experienced you are, every decision from birth to death can benefit from these principles. 
And so that's what we're going to look at this morning, the tools that God gives us to make decisions that honor him. At one point in the book, Alice in Wonderland, Alice is is faced uh, with a fork in the road and she begins to wonder which way she should go. She begins to panic and she actually looks up into the sky. Instead of seeing an angelic vision, instead of seeing uh, God himself giving her direction, she sees the Cheshire cat. And the Cheshire cat is looking down on her from the tree above. And uh, I'll just pick up the, the novel itself. Which way should I go, Alice blurted. That depends, said the cat, fixing his sardonic smile on the confused girl. On what, Alice managed to reply. Well, it depends on your destination. Where are you going, the cat asked. I I don't know, Alice stammered. Then, said the cat, his grin spreading even wider, it doesn't matter which way you go. I think it's important for us to recognize as Christians, as people in general, that when it comes to our decisions, the destination matters. If we don't have a destination in mind, if we don't care where we end up, then your decisions ultimately don't matter. If you're going on a road trip and you don't care where you end up, when you come to an intersection, you can go left, you can go right, you can go straight, you can turn around, or you can stay put, and your decision is just fine. But if you do have a destination in mind, that won't work all that well. Your decisions do matter greatly when there is a destination in mind. And the reality is, whether we realize it or not, as human beings, every single one of us has been given a purpose. Every single one of us has been given a destination, a a trajectory that our lives are supposed to follow. We've been created with a purpose from God. And because of that, the decisions we make actually do matter. They matter a great deal. And so before we look at our six principles, it is important to remind ourselves, to familiarize ourselves with that purpose that God has given us. It's found in the book of Ephesians uh, and uh, among other places. Paul tells us one of, if not the main reason for why God has saved us and indeed why God has created us just in general. In chapter 4, we see that God has created us and God has saved us in Christ to, notice these words from Ephesians 4, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Just a few verses later, at the beginning of Ephesians 5, God says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul tells us why we are saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So if we are trying to figure out what the purpose of our lives is, what the purpose of our lives specifically as Christians is, it is, yes, to honor God. It is to glorify God. And here in Ephesians, we see the ways that we can do that. These verses that we just read tell us that the way that we honor God, the way we glorify God, is by increasingly bearing good works. That's why God has created us in Christ Jesus. It is to increasingly act like him in holiness and in righteousness and by imitating him. Just like God, or just like children, imitate their parents. Uh, An example of that 
Our family has a very weird after-supper tradition. Uh, if you ever try to drive by our house after, uh, after supper uh, is over, you will notice that the blinds are closed, and that is for good reason. Because after we are done eating, after we're done with our devotions, we all bring our food, or our plates to the, to the kitchen, and then before we clean up, we go into the living room, and we have a dance party. We turn on the music, and as Silas says, my three-year-old says, uh, each night, uh, he wants to have a Holy Ghost dance party. Now, I am the the furthest thing from a good dancer, which is why we pull those curtains, because no one needs to be subjected to that. But it is remarkable that whatever I do for a few seconds, first it was just taking two wooden blocks and then clapping them together to give us a nice little beat, Whatever I do for two or three seconds, I can look down and I will see an almost three-year-old and an almost 18-month-old doing the exact same thing, whether it is clapping blocks together or whether it is spinning in circles or flailing arms uncontrollably or jumping up and down or bobbing heads frantically. Whatever it is, my children have a, a, a natural desire to imitate me. God have mercy on their souls. Children like to imitate their parents. And that's what God has in mind when he tells us that he wants us to imitate him. He wants us to grow up and increasingly become more and more like them. Now, you may be saying, what does that have to do with decision-making beyond it was a bad decision to share that with you? Well, when we are young, we have a tendency to need a lot of guidance when it comes to making our decisions. So a couple of weeks ago, before we got hit by these blizzards of the last week or so, we had a stretch of warm weather for kind of the first time, and we let the kids go outside. Now, our, our front yard is better for playing in than our backyard is, so when the kids go outside, we go to the front yard, and Crystal and I drop into athletic stances, nice triple threat position to make sure that we're guarding the street. Now, Silas, being, you know, having a couple summers under his belt, being able to be outside, he understands for the most part that you don't go into the street. We've got that ingrained into him. Sometimes he forgets when he gets excited. Sometimes he forgets when he is so fixated on something. But for the most part, he does a pretty good job. He knows that he's supposed to stay in the yard or in the driveway. Mara uh, is a completely different story. This is her first time being able to walk outside. The summer before, she wasn't walking yet, and so she's fascinated by the places that she can go, especially when those places are away from where mom and dad are. And so a couple Tuesdays ago, our entire night was consumed with Crystal and I playing defense that would have won us NBA Defensive Player of the Year awards, trying to keep Mara out of the street. Does that make us upset? I wish I could say no. Uh, It can be tiring. But when we think about it, not not really. It doesn't make us terribly upset. After all, she's 18 months old. It's her first time able to walk around outside. She isn't really old enough or experienced enough to understand the dangers of going out into the streets. And so we put our arms up as barriers to protect her from the street and provide her with a lot of guidance a lot of guardrails that even her older brother doesn't necessarily need. But now picture it's 20 years from now. 
Our son, Silas, is 23. He's in his first job after college. Mara is about to graduate from college in a month. Uh, They come home for Easter weekend, and the moment they enter into our house, or the moment they step out of their cars, Crystal and I, instead of running to hug them, we run to the street to protect them from the street, our 23-year-old and our 21-year-old, to make sure that they don't go out into the street. Is that necessary? Well, of course not. They've grown older. They've grown wiser. They've gotten to a point where they can make decisions on their own. In short, they've matured. When it comes to decision-making, why is it that God doesn't give us turn-by-turn directions to make our decisions, but instead he just gives us a compass? It's because God wants us to grow up. God wants us to grow in wisdom. He wants us to increasingly imitate him. And that doesn't happen by him giving us a dictated list of things to do. He doesn't want mindless drones, but he wants children who reflect him. And so he allows us to make decisions and hopefully to make decisions that honor him. And it is our desire to reflect him increasingly in every area of our life including in decision-making. So before we jump into these six principles that talk about the ways that we are supposed to live from the Bible, how we're to make decisions guided by the Bible, the the goal for us this morning that we have to realize the goal is not when it comes to decision-making. The goal is not a perfect peace. The goal is not to be at a point where before we make a decision, we have no regrets, that we never ask the question of, of what if, If we're being honest, the idea of a perfect peace when it comes to decision-making can be ultimately deceptive. Just think of Jonah. Jonah slept through the storm that was crashing around them in the sea. He had perfect peace, and yet he was far outside of God's will. Jesus, in the garden right before the crucifixion, was sweating drops of blood, was filled with anguish, the idea of peace about the decision that was, about, oh, that was before him was, was far from him, and yet he knew he was in the will of God. So this idea of peace is not what we are seeking after when it comes to a decision. What are we seeking after? Well, we're seeking to make a decision that honors God, to use the tools that he has given us, the wisdom, the guidance that he has given us to to make a decision that honors him, that God, our heavenly father, his heart would swell with pride when he looks at his children making these decisions and says, well done. You're increasingly becoming more and more like me. It doesn't matter how big or small the decision is. When God sees us wrestle through these decisions that seem huge to us and to look at them through the lens of, I want to honor God, I want to make a decision that honors him, that is using wisdom that he has given me, God looks down, his heart swells with pride, and he says, well done, you're becoming more and more like me. So that's our goal this morning, that's the, the destination that we are shooting for, to become more and more like Christ by honoring him with our decision making. With that, let's look at our first principle from the Bible when it comes to decision making. The first one is this, when making a decision, submit your decision to God's sovereign will. When making a decision, submit your decision to God's sovereign will. 
There's a lot of confusion out there about what the will of God is among Christians. And one of the reasons for that is because when the Bible talks about the will of God, it actually can mean several different things or a couple different things. Sometimes when the Bible talks about the will of God, it is referring to his sovereign will. It is referring to God's will that will not be thwarted. No matter what happens, God's will will happen. Ephesians 1 just gives us a little glimpse of what this will is in part. Ephesians 1, verse 11. In him, being Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Here, Paul reveals to us that God works everything according to his purposes. Everything that happens in this world, God is working according to his will. In other words, history is actually God's story, that he is the one, God is the one who is writing every single piece of the storyline. Nothing happens to you outside of God's will outside of God's plan. And part of that, as we see here in Ephesians, is an idea of everlasting salvation for those who place their faith in Christ. That's part of God's revealed sovereign will. But if we're honest, God doesn't reveal most of his sovereign will. That's what the book of Job is about in one sense. Job has no idea what is going on to him, why all of this is happening. And as far as we know, Job asks the question, why? Over and over, he says, I am innocent, God. Why is this happening to me? And God, as far as we know, never actually tells him why. Never actually reveals to him why. Never actually shows him his hidden will. Job wants to know God's sovereign will, and yet he is met with, although not complete silence, silence to the question that he has asked. And so, while we may desire to seek out God's sovereign will, while we can have confidence that God's sovereign will will never be thwarted, we should be cautious in assuming that what I want or what I am seeking out is God's sovereign will as well. So that's one way that the Bible uses this idea of, of will. The second way the Bible uses the idea of will is, is basically his moral will. This is what the majority of the New Testament is talking about when it talks about the will of God. When we last gathered together a couple weeks ago, we looked at one of the, the uh, parts of God's will for us, and that was that we would all be holy. That's a part of God's moral will. It is a command from God to his people. It's relatively straightforward. It's, it's easy for us to understand. As God's children, he wants us to be holy. Now, this, God's sovereign will and God's moral will, that's what the Bible is talking about when it talks about the will of God. Notice what's strangely absent. Personal direction for the decisions that face us. You see, the Bible gives us surprising freedom to make those decisions. And in a way that we can't comprehend in the mystery of, of God's providence, those decisions that we make under our own volition somehow fit into God's sovereign will. But it is not our responsibility to discern what that sovereign will is. Deuteronomy tells us that the will of God is often hidden. It's mysterious. We, have, we don't have to know what that will is before we make a decision. 
And yet, while God gives us a great deal of freedom to make decisions, we would be fools not to remember or submit those decisions to God and his sovereign will. That's what James talks about in his letter to the early church. James chapter 4 says this, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Notice what James is saying here. James is saying that it is fine to plan. It is fine to make business decisions. It is fine to take risks in those business decisions. In fact, those things can be good things, but whenever you make a decision, whatever decision is facing you, whenever you make a decision as a part of the planning process, do not forget God. Do not forget God's sovereign will. It would be wise for us to continually, constantly live in awareness of the fragility of life. To keep this passage in mind, to remember that the promise of tomorrow is not guaranteed, that the successes of today could be failures tomorrow. See, James isn't just talking about how short and how uncertain our lives are either. He's talking about the unknowability of the future in general. Something that today seems like a surefire business decision could be a terrible one tomorrow because of an event that's taking place on the other side of the globe that we have no idea about right now and we couldn't possibly predict it. The college that you are going to that seems like a sure bet today could be rocked by a scandal brewing under the surface tomorrow that you had no idea and could not possibly know about today. That's the frightening reality of life. Frightening reality of making decisions, of being finite. We can't know the future. We don't know the future. We can plan as best as we are able to do, and yet the future is not within our grasp. And God doesn't expect us to make decisions knowing the future either. So what does James suggest instead? Well, James says to submit those decisions that you make to the sovereign will of God. Now, far from meaning that you have to understand and figure out what that will is before you make a decision, this means that you should have an attitude of humility in your decision-making. James says that you should, all, all of us should add a healthy dose of the phrase, if the Lord wills, to all of life. Have it a habitual part of our vocabulary. But what's more important than just a, a phrase is a heart that reflects it. A humble heart that recognizes that God is God and that we are not, and God's sovereign plan will endure. So how do we submit our decisions to God's sovereign will? How do we actually do this? Well, prayer is a wonderful place to start. Prayer is a wonderful place to start. Prayer is not primarily telling God what to do. It's not at all about telling God what to do. Instead, it's an act of saying, just like Jesus does in the garden, not my will, but yours be done. Paul is writing to the church in Philippi when he's in prison, and he's reflecting upon the surprising turn of events that have taken place in his life over the past few years. After decades of faithful and productive ministry traveling throughout the Roman Empire, seeing 
scores and thousands of people come to faith as he proclaims the gospel freely. Now Paul finds himself in a Roman prison, unable to to leave when he wants, and, and you would expect that there would be a little bit of confusion there, or maybe a little bit of lamenting of what could be of how how much more effective Paul would be if he were able to still roam free in the Roman capital and not just be chained to this Roman guard. It's not what Paul says at all. Instead, he declares his contentment because he trusts in God's sovereign, although hidden, will. Philippians 4 says this, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul has a radical focus, a radical confidence in the sovereign will of God that no matter what happens, no matter what decisions he may have to make, God is in charge. And so the first principle that we need to to grasp from Scripture when it comes to making difficult decisions is to make them, is to think through them, to take risks, to do our research, but through it all, to do so with a humble submission to the sovereign will of God, knowing that we can't control anything, but in prayer to say, not my will, but yours be done. What about after that? So we've submitted our decision to the sovereign will of God. Well, next we see another principle, and that is when you're making a decision to to submit your decision to God's moral will. So not just God's sovereign will, but also God's moral will. As we mentioned earlier, the, the clearest description of God's will in the Bible is God's moral will. It's how God commands us to live our lives. So when we are faced with tough decisions, if, if our charge is to, to make a decision that honors God, to imitate and reflect him, then it follows that we should make decisions that are in line with his revealed moral will. And the Bible is where we see God's revealed moral will. Psalm 119 tells us this, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way." The key for us when it comes to decision-making, to make a decision that honors God, is to do so in response or in submission to his revealed will. His will for your life personally will never contradict his revealed will in Scripture. Scripture makes it clear that, children are not, that God's children are not to marry unbelievers. God's will in Scripture makes it clear that sex is meant for the fidelity of marriage. Anyone who says that God told them it was okay to have an affair because of love or to leave their family because of, uh, of an affair or to flout God's commands in any other way is deceived or deceiving themselves. When we speak of God's will, making a decision 
it must be done with a submission to God's revealed moral will. It is crucial for us to not just know God's moral will, but to do so in a way that actually leads to submission to that will. It does us no good to know God's commands and then just ignore them or justify a way around them. We dishonor God when we do so. And our goal in decision-making is not to dishonor God, but to honor Him. So, first we submit our decisions to God's sovereign will, and next we submit our decisions to God's moral will. Let's move to our third principle. It gets a little more complicated after this. If we are moving forward in humility, if we are content in God's sovereign will, not just our own, if we are continually offering our prayer up to to God, uh, uh, asking for his sovereign will to be done, if we are moving forward in obedience to that revealed will as in Scripture, things can get a little more complex. After all, cultivating this right heart and this right mind, principles one and two, they may set the boundaries for us, but there's still a whole lot of freedom. There's still a whole lot of freedom for us to make a decision. And if we want to honor God, what decision can we make? Well, remember, the goal of godly decision-making is not a sense of peace primarily that we don't have any regrets or ask the question, what if? It's instead to make a decision that honors God. So our third principle gives us a little more guidance. It's this, when making a decision, choose the most loving Choose the most loving. In the Gospels, Jesus is talking to a rich, young politician. And this politician asks him about the key to inheriting eternal life. And Jesus says that the entirety of the law can be summed up into two commands. Love God and love others. Luke 10. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Paul in the book of Romans tells us that love is the key to fulfilling the law. Romans chapter 13, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Colossians, a book that we went through a few months ago, tells us that love is the key character trait of those that are are following God, that we are to develop in our quest to imitate God, to reflect God as his children. Colossians 3, 14, above all these put on love, which binds together everything in perfect harmony. When you are faced with a difficult decision that can have a wide wide range of permissible options, the way forward is for you to take the time, the long time oftentimes, to discern how you can best love. Now, love in this context is not a feeling, it's not an attitude of affection. It is a verb, it is an act. It is a commitment to serve. It is a commitment to put others first, to seek the better and the welfare of another person. It is self-sacrificial devotion to another. And it is that attitude that should guide our decision-making. This principle 
is huge because it helps us check our motives to rule out things that we may be doing that are inherently good things, but doing for the wrong reasons. But of course, if that's a starting place, this, again, can get relatively complex relatively quickly. After all, the decision that we have to make can leave us with a choice to love one group or another group. So do I move to a new community to better provide for my immediate family, to give more opportunities to my spouse and to my kids, or do I stay here and love my aging parents? Both decisions are rooted in love. How do we decide? You on your own will have to figure that out. But the idea of concentric circles is very important to this. There are concentric circles of responsibility of love. Our primary responsibility is first to love our family, to love our nuclear family and then our extended family. Secondary responsibility is to the local church and to other Christians. And then after that, uh, we have a tertiary responsibility to love our community and those who are just simply our neighbors. Now, that by no means makes this decision simple and no, my, no, in no way tells us the one right way for every single person to answer the exact same question, but it gives us a guideline. It gives us true north on our compass as we work through motives and we, as we work through our responsibilities to love others. So, for example, a responsibility to love your aging parents may, but not necessarily, it may mean that you have to take, make a tough decision in the eyes of the local church, in the eyes of the community that you are currently a part of, that they may actually see as unloving to them in order for you to faithfully fulfill your calling to love. Or it may not. And a responsibility to love your immediate family may, but, but not necessarily, it may mean that you should avoid a career move in the middle of your kid's formative years. Be clear, in no way am I suggesting that that is the right way forward in every situation. In either of these examples, it's too nuanced for that. It's just simply showing the complexity of these questions. Love will guide us. It's a principle to guide us, but it doesn't necessarily give us an easy answer. So if principle one tells us that we have the right heart, if principle two tells us that we are committed to obedience, and if principle three says that we are committed to love others, really principle four in one sense is an extension of principle three. When making a decision, go with your strengths. Go with your strengths. Peter is writing to the early church when he writes this, as each of you have received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. No matter what your view of yourself may be, God has created you in a way that is unique to every other person. No one has your unique mix of gifts, uh, of strengths, of experiences, and passions as anyone else. In the context of 1 Peter, 
Paul, uh, Peter is describing this, that these gifts and these strengths are used in a way to serve others in the church. In other words, we're to use these gifts, the ways that God has made us to love others in a way that we are uniquely positioned to do. So when making a decision to love It is helpful to remember that God has given you strengths, God has given you passions for a reason. Provided they fall within the boundaries of God's revealed moral will, pursue them. If you are passionate and good with kids, then make decisions that will give you opportunities to use those gifts. If you think about being around a dirty-handed two-year-old, and that stresses you out. And talking to a two-year-old is like talking to someone in a different language. Don't work with kids. Don't work with kids. Go with your strengths and your passions when making a decision. Let's look at our next principle. Assuming we've pursued the right heart, assuming that we are pursuing God with obedience, assuming that we are committed to loving others and that we are going to cultivate the gifts that God has given us. That leaves us with two more principles facing us. The next one is this. When making a decision, weigh the circumstances, but don't be ruled by them. Weigh the circumstances, but don't be ruled by them. You see, circumstances can and should guide our decision-making, but they cannot and should not dictate the terms. Circumstances can be a very fickle thing if we are honest, and we should recognize that we are not the best at interpreting circumstances. In his book, Decision Making by the Book, Haddon Robinson lays out an example of this from the book of Acts. If you're familiar with the book of Acts, at the very end of the book, Paul is sailing as a prisoner to Rome, and they get in this terrible storm in the sea, and their ship sinks. They they are shipwrecked on this island called Malta. And when they get to the island of Malta, uh, they're greeted by these natives, and, and they're creating a fire to keep warm. And, and Paul grabs some wood to throw the wood on the fire, and a snake bites him. I'll just read from Acts here. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he escaped the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook the, off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Notice from the natives how easy it is for us to misread circumstances, to misinterpret circumstances. First, they thought that he was a criminal, that he was cursed by the gods, and then after that, they realized, oh, he can't be cursed by the gods. He instead must be a god himself. They were reading the circumstances and did a terrible job at it. Neither of these answers is accurate. And so while we should take into account the circumstances that face us, we would be unwise, we should be cautious to assume that God only reveals his will through the circumstances that face us. One of the most fascinating things about 2 Corinthians, and we we oftentimes in Christian circles talk about open doors. God, if you will, just open a door for me close certain doors. Paul, he uses this language, open doors, uh, a couple times in Scripture. What's most interesting, it's in 2 Corinthians. Paul is talking about an open door that he has to go and do ministry. And yet he says, but I was so worried about things in Corinth and that I just went the other way. That's fascinating. That's not at all how we think of the idea or the concept of an open door. 
Paul looks at the circumstance of an open door and said, yeah, you know what, that could make sense, and yet I am so concerned with things over here in Corinth that I'm going to go this way instead. The idea of circumstances. It's important for us to consider, and yet let us not be ruled by them. Our final principle is one you're probably familiar with. When making a decision, get good counsel. Get good counsel. The book of Proverbs is filled with countless passages that tell us the importance, the value of counsel, and not just counsel, but good counsel. Proverbs 19, listen to advice, accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Seeking good counsel is crucial for our decision-making. It's crucial for our decision-making. And yet it also helps us to uh, remember the importance of looking at decision-making, not through the lens of, of one right path that we are to discover, but instead to look at it through the lens of making a decision that honors God. When Crystal and I first got married, we lived in Chicago, and we attended a small church there uh, in the Chicago suburbs. And something was going on in, in the denomination that that church was affiliated with that was relatively troubling at the national level. At that time, they had made a couple policy decisions, uh, theological decisions that our church almost universally was not exactly thrilled with. Uh, and there was this question that came bubbling up is, what should we do? What should we do? We're, we're not in love with the, the trajectory of this denomination, so should we, uh, should we leave the denomination or should we stay in it? And this was a question that the leaders of that church spent quite a bit of time wrestling through, and they, they spent time praying about it. Uh, they, they asked, they had good conversation, should we leave our denomination or should we stay in our denomination? And after, after discussion, they voted on whether they should bring the, the idea the, uh, of exploring, leaving the denomination up to the, the congregation. And of the eight voting members of the church leadership, the vote was four to four. Now, if the church was intent on finding God's will, on discovering what the right decision was for their church, this would mean that four of those church leaders who were godly, faithful people, it would mean that four of those leaders were wrong, and not just wrong, but they were actually sinful by being disobedient to God's desire for them to stay or to go, whichever side of the argument you're on. But they weren't looking for God's will. And said they were trying to make a decision that would honor God in that situation. And they ultimately decided to stay in the denomination. They said, you know what, it's better for us. We want to just stay here and work for change from within. And it was a decision that honored God. Just as if they would have decided to begin the process of leaving the denomination would have been a decision that would have probably honored God just in the exact same way. And the important thing is, they were able to live charitably with one another, even as they disagreed. Counsel is, is crucial for a decision, especially good counsel. And so seek out counsel from a wide variety of sources. Don't just get one voice to tell you what to do. Not just one type of voice either. I, I would be the first to admit that I could probably give you counsel from Scripture, but you would be far better off seeking counsel from someone else who has experience going through the exact same situation or a similar situation that you were trying to make a decision in than I could probably give you. Seek counsel from various 
perspectives. And then make your decisions. Remember, God wants you to grow in wisdom. He wants you to grow and increase in your reflection of him in this world. And one of the ways that he allows you to do that is by making big decisions, to think through decisions, to spend some time wrestling with how do we honor God in these decisions. We don't seek after the the right answer, but instead God gives us the, the opportunity to exercise our spiritual muscles to grow in wisdom and to grow in faith and to grow in our dependence upon him. And so as we began this morning, in every decision, seek to honor God. We do that by having a heart of humility. We do that by committing to obedience. We do that by loving others. We do that by using our strengths. We do that by considering circumstances but not being ruled by them. And we do that by getting good counsel. It doesn't mean that decisions are going to be easy or obvious for us. It doesn't mean that we're going to be at a place where we have no regrets, but we can be in a place where God is honored in our decisions. No matter the decisions that face you, seek to honor God in those decisions. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the wisdom of your word, how it is rich in truth, rich in guidance and wisdom, and yet it is also an incredible gift that allows us to grow, to not just do what we're told, but as we follow you, to grow more and more like you. That is our desire as your children, to grow and grow more and more like you. So help us, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.